0: Thank you, Duane. Let's pray as we begin. <clears throat> Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the time of worship, of music, that we could lift you up in praise. And we pray, Lord, that your spirit would fill us right now, that your word would come to us, would speak to us, convict us by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. It's good to be able to share with you today from God's word. Last week we had our youth Sunday, and I want to thank everybody who was part of that. They did a marvelous job of leading in worship. I think we would all agree, from the music to the testimonies, and especially Everett as our worship chairperson. I think he's legendary now. <laughs> and our thanks, our thanks to Pastor Joe and to Noel Chow for coordinating it all, and the whole team for. Just blessing us. Let's give them another hand and thank them. All the testimonies were so encouraging. Um, if you didn't get to hear it, I would encourage you to go back to the website and listen to the podcast. Uh, I loved every single one. It was so great to hear the stories of young people encountering the living Christ in their daily lives as they begin this journey of discipleship and relationship with Christ. I especially related to yours, Jaden. <laughs> I'll leave it to you to guess which parts I related to. But I'm sure that all the parts, the hearts of the parents were warmed over many times and they will cherish the videos that they took, right? As much as they cherish the videos of when you are all in promised land up here singing your hearts out, <laughs> Our daily lives with Christ, our discipleship, our relationship with Him is not a separate process from our salvation in Him. It is part and parcel of the entire process of coming to know Christ and His will for our lives up until we breathe our very last breath. Now, two weeks ago, Pastor Gary started our series in the Gospel of John, and he's not feeling well, so I will be filling in for him For the next few weeks. And if you're wondering why the change of uh, the message and the passage, actually, Pastor Gary called me on Wednesday and he said, "Um, Jerry, I'm not doing so good. Can you, by any chance, preach for me on Sunday? (laughs) Um, And I was in the middle of preparing the, the worship set and was getting it all set. And I said, Well, you know, given the circumstances, yes, of course. And then As I began to prepare and I I, uh, selected that passage um, from John 1, 35 to 51, as I began to think about it, I I thought, well, you know, this isn't a great place to start this passage. We really have to start a little bit earlier. So I I decided I would start um, right after where he left off, John 1, 6 through 18. And then of course, well, you know, why not just keep going? So I'm gonna try to extend it For a couple of weeks. Um, So, next week we'll continue with John the Baptist, and then hopefully the the week after that we will go back to the calling of the the first disciples. That's where we get when Jesus calls. But I think that this uh, passage deals appropriately as well with Jesus calling us. What is he calling us to, and why is he calling us? So, that's where we're at. He started. uh, Pastor Gary started us with the question, "Who is Jesus? Who is he?" The first five verses of the Gospel of John began to paint a theological picture of Jesus as the Word, as the Word. And just to review a bit of Pastor Gary, what Pastor Gary covered: three characteristics about Jesus Christ. First, that He is God. He is God. The one through five tells us that the word is eternal. The word is distinct from the Father. The word is deity. And then second, that he is a creator of the universe. All things were made through him. And there was not anything that is made that has been made. And then third, that he is the source of spiritual life. That he is the light. And we will continue continuing along with that, um, those those ideas this week. Uh, But this week we begin in verse 6, where the gospel writer introduces us to another man named John, commonly called John the Baptist, probably to distinguish him from the author of the gospel, John the Apostle. So two different people, John the Baptist and John the Apostle, who's writing this book that we're reading. Now, John the Baptist is somewhat of a misnomer. Because the Baptist denomination did not exist in the time of John the Baptist. Uh, A more literal translation might have been John the Baptizer. Because one of the things that John was known for was he would baptize people. Along with his teaching and preaching of repentance, he would regularly hold baptisms um, to those who became his followers. So he became known as John the Baptizer. And again, for those of you who haven't heard, we will be having a baptism class today at 11.30, back in the game room, back there, and we will be covering the topics of what is baptism and why should should we get baptized. But if you remember from the Christmas stories, John the Baptizer was the cousin of Jesus. Only a few months older than Jesus at the time, And he began his own public ministry with quite a splash. I don't know. Do we have the picture? There he is. Okay. He looks like a Neanderthal in this picture. That's why I picked it, because he's really wild and crazy. Some might even say that John the Baptizer was a little bit crazy, a little bit wild. He wore a camel hair cloak. He ate honey and locusts. Uh, He... He was calling folks on the carpet for their loose morals and questionable practices. He was pretty radical for his time, um, and, and that would later get him into a lot of trouble. In fact, it would cost him his head, literally. He got beheaded because he, he told some, some people the wrong thing. It wasn't politically correct, and that's what happened. Now, the reason for his radical appearance was that he had taken the vow of a Nazarite, vowing not to cut his hair or to get married, or to drink any strong drink. It was the same vow that the Old Testament judge Samson took. You know Samson, Samson and Delilah, right? And so he would bear a striking resemblance to, in many ways, to Samson. But in the beginning of his ministry, John's primary responsibility was to point people to Christ, to point them to Jesus. The gospel writer tells us John's mission was to bear witness to the light, that he was not the light, but that he came to bear testimony to the light that all might believe in him, in Jesus. Now, if you were to try to explain Jesus Christ to someone else, how would you do it? How would you do it? What would you say? What are some adjectives that you would use? How would you describe Jesus? And if you were to explain to someone else your relationship to Christ, what would you say? How would you describe it? What, would you, what words would you use to describe that relationship? What adjectives would you use? Well, here the Apostle John is trying to explain who John the baptizer is and was. What was his mission? Why is it so important? Well, it is important because today we are witness bearers to Jesus Christ. Just as the young men and women bore witness last week, all in the Christ community are witness bearers to Jesus Christ. We are all called to do that. But what does that mean for us? What does that mean for you and me if we believe in Jesus? Well, I think the Apostle John gives us some answers to some of those questions. And the first one is that one who bears witness is one who is sent. One who is sent. The Apostle John says that, that, that John the Baptist was sent from God. He was sent from God. And just as John the baptizer was sent from God, we are sent as well. We are sent as well. We don't go on our own volition. As disciples, we are sent from our master and commander to bear witness to others. But we don't just bear witness of anything. We are to bear witness to the light, verse seven says, that all might believe in him. And then in verse eight, we are, not, we are not the light, but we bear witness to the light. Just as, if you will, the moon reflects the light of the sun. I don't know if you ever follow the monthly phases of the moon. Have you ever noticed that the moon um, goes through different phases? It waxes and it wanes. Did you know that the moon has different phases? From new moon to full moon, from waxing gibbous, to waning gibbous from supermoon to super blood wolf moon to blue moon the appearance of the moon in the night sky varies according to the position of the moon in its orbit to the earth the point is that the moon isn't actually changing shape or brightness or size it's merely reflecting the light from the sun that is the source of its light It doesn't really emit any light itself. In the same way, disciples of Jesus are merely reflecting the truth of who Jesus is. They are bearing witness to the light. They have no light of righteousness in and of themselves. We, in our own volition and our own power, cannot demonstrate any righteousness. We can only reflect the righteousness of Christ. How a a disciple appears, though, is in direct correlation to their relationship to the source of light, the Son of God. The closer you are to the source of light, the brighter and bigger your light will be, just like the moon. That's what a supermoon is, actually. It's when the, the orbit of the moon is closest to the earth. And so you see it reflecting the light of the, the sun, and it looks huge. It's just amazing. It's a super moon. But it's only in relationship to the earth to, and, and to the source of light. The closer you are to the source of light, the bigger and brighter your light will be, just like the moon, just like the moon. So let me ask you, how is your reflection this morning? how is your reflection this morning? Is the reflection of the light being obscured by something? Maybe the earth, like in a full eclipse of the moon. Or maybe the clouds, which happens pretty much every night. Or have you moved away from the light source? And so your reflecting is just a little bit dimmer. You see, John goes on to say in verse 9, The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We bear witness that the true light was from before the beginning of creation. He existed before anything else existed. He is pre existent. He is God. He is eternal. That's who we worship. The true light came into the world that He created, but the world did not recognize Him. The world did not recognize Him. You know, we think about the Christmas story and about the baby in the manger, and it's all cute and everything, but imagine God, the creator of the universe, coming into the thing that he created as an infant, as probably the most vulnerable being that there could ever be. God, very God, becomes. Human in the flesh. And then, secondly, his own people rejected him. Right? The Jews, they didn't believe him. In fact, they crucified him. But some did receive him, and they received adoption into Christ's family. Isn't this all true today? The world does not recognize Jesus for who he truly is. Some say he's, he was a great teacher, which he was. Some say he was a wizard or a magician. Some say that he was mere, is merely a myth, and he didn't exist at all. It's just the figment of somebody's imagination. Even his own people rejected him. And crucified him. But that does not stop the spirit and the will of God from moving, right? We sang that this morning. God cannot be stopped. Verse 12 tells us those who did receive him, all who believe the witness, who believe in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. Adoption into the family of God awaits all those who humble themselves before him and receive Christ into their lives, who submit their lives and their wills to God, who repent of their sins, which simply means to change your mind and turn away from your own desires and receive the grace and the truth of Christ. It's amazing. It's a miracle. You see, we bear witness that he is not only the light, but that he came, he became flesh and dwelt among us. Now the word dwelt here means that he pitched his tent. Uh, an Old Testament word might be tabernacled. And the the Israelites built a tent for God, a meeting place for God. They called the tabernacle. So this term here is, is like that Jesus came and he pitched his tent, or he tabernacled among us, he lived among us. He lived on this earth. Now, how many of you like camping? Raise your hands. Okay, maybe a third of you. (laughs) How many of you don't like camping? Let's see. Okay, and then how many of you just don't care? All right. And then how many of you just don't like to raise your (laughs) hands? And then some of you are just... Like, you're too lazy to do anything. Uh, You know, if you don't like camping, you know, you just don't understand why anyone would want to live for a few days in a thin, cold piece of material in the wilderness where you have to draw your own water and sleep on hard ground or cook in the open air. You know, it's just like, why? You know, what is that all about? Well, Jesus chose to leave his heavenly throne room to travel to our very earthly earth where he lived and breathed with us the same air, the same earth, the same water. And John and others have seen his glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is whom John the Baptist bears witness to, who John said, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me, the eternal God. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Sarah, can we throw up those verses again, 14 through 18? The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. To bear witness means to testify that something is true, that something is true. I grew up with three older brothers, so four boys, and I have a younger sister. Uh, Perhaps Gary and Suzanne can relate to this, having raised three boys, but we were uh, a rambunctious lot. We would get ourselves into all kinds of trouble. We used to play a form of baseball inside the house when our parents were away, working at the family grocery store. We would use a balled-up sock as the ball, and we would use a T-square. I don't know if you guys know what a T-square is. (laughs) As our bat, as a ruler, you could use it, architects use it to make a 90-degree angle. So it was a T-square, but we used that as our bat. And we would have rousing games of, of baseball in our living room. Now, inside that living room was a ceramic Buddha statue. You already know where this is going. And one day, someone someone hit the sock ball into the Buddha and knocked it over and broke a hole into the back of its head. Hallelujah! (laughs) This was before we were Christians, so I think God had a purpose and plan for them. Of course, when our mom saw it, You know, she blew her stack, and she asked, who did it? And of course, we all testified that we didn't see who was responsible. The truth is probably that we were all responsible, right? Uh, But to this day, some 50-plus years later, whenever we talk about the hole in the Buddha head, we all testify that we don't know who did it. And that is probably more true today than it ever was. Because it was so long ago. We really don't remember who did it. What it is, and what is it that John the Baptist and so many others bore witness to? What is it? It's the person of Jesus Christ. The person of Jesus Christ. Now the Apostle John's witness and testimony turns in this place, in these verses, into an explosion of praise and worship for Christ. You'll notice as we're reading through the the first part of this chapter that John the Apostle never mentions Jesus by name. He says the word and the light. But he doesn't say it was Jesus. He doesn't point to Christ until this point. Verse 17, he says, The law came through Moses and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Very specific here, very specific. This is a new world order for these people. They've never heard this before. All they've known before Jesus is the law coming through Moses. But now in the fullness of time, in the fullness of his time, Jesus came bringing not only the law, not only the truth, but along with it, grace. It is not grace or truth. It is grace and truth. It's not a little bit of grace and a lot of truth. Jesus came in the fullness of grace and truth. Today, you know, Christians are condemned sometimes for being too rigid, too judgmental, too full of the truth. And I think somewhat that is true to, some, to a certain extent. There is sometimes very little room for grace. So then some Christians try to balance this out by being full of grace, forgiving everything. You know that God doesn't judge and neither should we and That sacrifices the need and necessity for truth. We cannot live in this world without law and truth. But Jesus lived in fullness of grace and truth. Only Jesus could have done this. And that's what makes Christianity unique among all the world faiths and philosophies. And we testify to the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, full of the glory of God, full of grace and truth. You know, the only, only the first, te- uh, first disciples can testify as eyewitnesses to the truth that Jesus was a man, that he lived a sinless life, that he died on the cross, and on the third day he rose again. But it is through the testimony of John the Baptist, and then the Twelve, and then Saul of Tarsus, who became the Apostle Paul, and then countless others, it is through them that we can sit and stand here today, continuing to bear witness to the truth of who Christ is, God in the flesh, full of grace and truth. We'll learn a little bit more about John the Baptizer next week. But I want to leave you with this thought. Jesus himself said in Matthew eleven eleven, Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Think about that. There's Jesus, and then there's John the Baptist, And then there's everybody else. But Jesus says, as great as John the Baptist was, even the least in the kingdom is greater than he. So while John was great, even in his greatness, even the least in the kingdom is greater than he. If that is true, should we also not bear witness to the light Should we also not testify to the truth of Christ in our lives? So, again, as we close, ask yourself the question How is your reflection today? Let's pray.